Well, it's good to be back. I am so glad to be home with you. I have missed you incredibly. Uh, every Sunday I repent because I've been in bed for a month. Um, but it has been, uh, it's been kind of an interesting journey. I, uh, I feel a little bit like Rip Van Winkle because I swore we had at least one day of summer last week. And now we're back in the winter. So I went down and came back and missed a whole year, apparently. And now we're back in the winter. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's our snowstorm we get in April every year. It's not unusual. It's life in Illinois. If you want anything different, you should move to California. Our daughter went to the beach yesterday. So apparently we're in the wrong part of the world. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, it has been uh, an incredible blessing to me, actually, as I've been sick over this past month. Um, just to know that you, you've been worshiping, you've been uh, carrying the load here, you've been doing ministry. Um, it's just so incredible to see what the Lord has done uh, and continues to do through our church, um, even, even with me not, not being involved with, with much of anything. I mean, the decorations today, even on them alone, are just incredible. Uh, Diane, this, this is really... These, I don't know if you, you recognize it, but these are like cloak on, cloaks on the road and, and palm branches and uh, just really nice, 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 uh, nice setup for Palm Sunday. By the way, at the end of the service, we have palm branches. Uh, that we're going to hand out to you uh, as well. Um, but, but it's been just really incredible to know that uh, everything has just been running smoothly. And uh, I'm very blessed uh, to be able to be in a church like this. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, I spoke at uh, BART last week. I was hoping that you guys wouldn't mind that. Uh, it was my turn. I, I kind of uh, shirked my responsibility over there. But now I'm back. And uh, anxious to get into Passion Week with you and, uh, and start, uh, start getting busy doing the Lord's work with you again. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Blind Bartimaeus. Have you ever heard of this guy before? Uh, it's Actually, before we do that, let's, uh, let's just uh, spend a minute... Um, uh, one of our new attendees, Robin, uh, some of you have met her, she fell yesterday... And uh, did she break her wrist? Broke her ankle, broke her, broke her ankle and possibly her wrist. Uh, so you, she's one of our new attendees. We have several new attendees um, over, the, over these past couple of months. And so um, we've been just getting to know her, but uh, she fell yesterday. And so would you mind if we just spent a moment? I know we already prayed, but um, let's just spend a minute and pray for her. And we'll uh, um, take her before the Lord together. Would you mind doing that? Let's pray. So, Father, we are grateful. Oh, it's so nice to be back. It's so good to be home. Um, thank you for our church family. Thank you for using us and for uh, giving us purpose and hope. Um, Fountain View, even, even the fact that we crank open the doors and, and uh, sing these songs on Sunday morning and fill this building with praise songs to you, is such a reminder to me of, of the blessing we have of, of uh, being in this place together. So, Father, thank you for our church family. Robin uh, fell, and uh, she's going through some, some pain today, and she wasn't expecting this. And, uh, boy, I feel for her after just coming through what I've been through. Um, may, may you visit her with an incredible amount of healing and uh, just take care of uh, that situation. Give her strength. Um, help her to heal quickly. Help this, uh, this um, wrist situation to not be broken. Just, just, uh, just visit her in a very merciful and powerful way. Uh, we, we do believe that doctors really couldn't do anything uh, were, were it not for you. They certainly could not 
have the minds to operate um, or the machines to use were it not for you giving them even the ability to, to, to build those things and use those things properly. Uh, but ultimately, every part of our healing comes down to you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would visit Robin and, and those in our congregation who have loved ones and family members that uh, just need your healing hand. May you, may you prove yourself strong to us in this area. And for any prayer requests that, um, that I have not mentioned this morning, uh, but I know are on our hearts. And I, th- I think of um, uh, even Brent, Sherry's son, Father, as he uh, continues to, to deal with uh, this weird sickness that he's dealing with. Um, your protective hand is always obvious there. You always have taken care of him. But, Father, I just pray that you would do a miraculous healing there. And um, I, I know there's, there's others. There's some that I can't mention that they know I know, and they're dealing with situations in their own lives. Um, just prove yourself strong to us. We believe prayer changes things because you are God that loves us, visits us, and heals us. So may you do that to us in a very powerful way and, and, and in your mercy. Um, now give us uh, grace as we look into your word. Really speak to us as only you can do and help us never, ever, ever to leave here the same way that we came in. Just a little closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you, uh, you experienced something but you didn't understand the weight of it until later? might have been something that you anticipated. Most of the times, it's something you don't. Something that happens in life, and, and you go through it, you experience it, you see it, but it, it isn't until later that it proves that it was a little bit more distinct than you had anticipated. Maybe at some point that something had been right in front of your face, and you just, you just didn't see it for what it was. Anytime that I think about this kind of concept in our lives, and this happens pretty often, right? Like stuff happens to us and around us, and we don't understand the full impact until we actually have time to look back on it and realize how it impacted us truly. Uh, Me being sick over this past month, I'm still going like, why did that happen? That was a really big waste of time. Uh, Misdiagnosis and all that silliness that went on, and then finally to find out I had to lose a piece of my body in the process. And and I'm thinking to myself, why did that have to happen? And I won't probably understand all of that until I get far enough out, and then maybe even then I may not understand why it all happens. When I think about this kind of a concept, um, I kind of revert back to the 80s. Do you remember these things in the 80s? Do you know what that is? Anybody know what that? What is that? What is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it is a computer-generated 3D graphic art piece. So you can actually stare at this, and believe it or not, if you're thinking to yourself, it doesn't work, it does. There is a, should I tell you what's in this picture? You want to know, or are you trying to find out? <laughs> you're, you're all like mesmerized by it. You've got to look like into it and almost go cross-eyed to find it. There's a shark in there, believe it or not, somewhere. So uh, anyway, uh, take a picture of it, take it home, you can figure it out all day today. Give you something to do on Palm Sunday. Um, this is, uh, uh, these things came out in the 80s, they were, they were everywhere, and you had people staring at the walls all the time trying to figure out what spaceship was there, or what, what shark was there. Jesus on Palm Sunday is in a crowd all day. These crowds are huge on Palm Sunday, and Jesus starts in the city called Jericho. Now, Jericho is about... Uh, yeah, you can take that down now. I think I'm losing everybody at this point. Uh, Jericho is about uh, 2,200 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about 2,200 feet above sea level. 
these towns are about 15, uh, 15 miles apart, about 30 kilometers apart. So, do the math, all right, in your head. Jericho and Jerusalem are about 30 miles, uh, 15 miles apart, 2,200, 200, so it's 4,400 foot difference. Jesus starts his day with this big crowd in Jericho, makes his way up to Jerusalem the same day, and the crowd follows him the entire way. When he gets to Jerusalem, the crowd is even bigger by the time he gets there. This is a, time, a period of time when everybody is going to Jerusalem to do annual sacrifices. So they're used to doing this. This is a, a, a time of pilgrimage. You can find this story in the Gospels, and the one that we're going to be looking at is in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is told that he's uh, going up to Jerusalem. Obviously, it's a 4,400-foot climb up to Jerusalem, and this huge crowd follows him all the way up. Also in Mark 10, it says that many in the crowd followed him, and they were afraid. That's kind of an interesting concept. Um, It says his disciples were amazed, but the crowd was afraid. There's too much in here to unpack all this morning, but a part of this is because there's so much tension building around this person called Jesus. And there's so much tension building around the political entity of Rome, being in Jerusalem, that the people that are in this crowd that would love to be free of Rome and free to worship, they're very not free to worship. They're very much under the thumb. They are doing all of this with a heart of fear. They know they have to worship. They know they're called to bring sacrifices on this day, but they're afraid in the process. Some in Jesus' crowd might be afraid also that he would be taken into custody as soon as he goes to to Jerusalem. In fact, when he told his disciples he was going to Jerusalem, their response was, "Let's, uh, let's put that on the calendar for another time. They weren't excited to go to Jerusalem because they had a feeling Jesus would be taken into custody. On this day, as Jesus entered into uh, Jerusalem, he finds this other huge crowd. And just five days later, the crowds dissipate and he is alone on a cross. This is what Good Friday is. And I want to encourage you to come to our Good Friday service. We're excited to be able to partner with other churches. This is something we love to do as a church, is uh, network with other churches in our community. And we're going to have an amazing service called Service of Shadows. If you've never been in a to a tenebrae service, that's the Latin word for it, Uh, we walk through the process, walk through the journey of Jesus that night, uh, and we see all the ways that he was betrayed and and he was hurt until finally he was hung on the cross. And uh, it's a powerful, moving service. So I'd encourage you to be there uh, 7.30 on on Friday night. All the information's online. Uh, This is the day that begins the Passion Week. Today, Palm Sunday. When Jesus enters into the gates of Jerusalem and begins this journey to the cross, where it would end with him alone hanging on the cross. This is also, the story of blind Bartimaeus is also the last positive miracle that Mark records for us. There are several miracles that Mark gives us. This is the last positive one. And it was about a blind beggar who was looking for a miracle. Let's jump in. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, Mark rarely gives us names. This is the only time Bartimaeus' name is used in scriptures in this story. 
We don't hear of him before this. We don't hear of him after this. This is the only time he's pulled out and a very non-special individual is used in a very special way. Understand, a blind beggar in society is the lowest on the rung. (laughs) He doesn't have a lot to contribute. He's actually a drag on society. He's begging for money that other people work hard for. He doesn't contribute anything. Financially, he's the riffraff that brings the the housing situation down in a neighborhood. You don't want a blind beggar sitting at the entrance of your home complex because that just brings the value down. That's Bartimaeus. As society sees this guy, he doesn't add anything to life for them. Emotionally, he's a downer. I mean, how many people love to see this blind beggar with a cloak that's all he has sitting day after day on the side of the road? Nobody feels good around this guy. Even his name is generic. Bartimaeus. Do you know what that means? Bar means son. What was his father's name? Timaeus. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. This guy is not unique in any way. Even his name describes he is not a unique individual. Now, please understand, Mark is pulling this guy out as if he is unique. And Mark has just given us a story about Mark Zuckerberg. Now, you may not know Mark Zuckerberg is in the Bible because we refer to him as the rich young ruler. Remember this guy? That's Mark Zuckerberg. He is like the most powerful guy around. He was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. And we don't even know his name. In Mark, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't even feel it necessary to tell us that guy's name, and he was really important. This guy who we would expect to be known only is known to us as a rich, young ruler. And yet, just a couple of chapters later, we are told, now I want to tell you a story about somebody that really makes a difference. And his name is Bartimaeus. Kind of interesting. So we read on. Verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus is calling out this guy that's not really worth much in society. Begins calling out because he can't see. So he's way back in the background, this large crowd. And he starts yelling loud enough so that he is heard over the crowd. He's yelling out, son of David. This individual left behind in society, begging for his, his very income, only a cloak to his name, begins screaming loud enough that he ticks everybody in the crowd off. Everybody is there for a specific purpose. This guy that has nothing to attribute to society, contribute to society, is now screaming and taking all of the attention away. Not only that, but it's what he was screaming. He was calling Jesus what? What was the title he gave to Jesus? Son of David. Now, let's talk about that. That's an interesting one. If you look back in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, you will find that God gives a promise to David that one of his descendants would never leave the throne, would always be a ruler in Israel. And so, is, so the Jews hung on to that promise. 
So whenever they talked about the coming Messiah, they would give him the title, this is the son of David. This is the promise from way back in 2 Samuel verse 7. Some people thought that he would be a great high priest. Some people thought that he would be a great prophet. Some people thought that he would be maybe even God himself. I mean, as time went on from David, this is a thousand years before Jesus shows up, as time goes on from David, people begin to say, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be the son of David finally shows up. He's going to be like God incarnate. They told their kids these stories. They told each other these, especially as Rome had their heavy fist on the Jews. They told these stories more and more with hopes that he would show up. And this blind guy starts screaming out and giving the title to Jesus Christ. They didn't know who this guy would be, but they knew he would be a fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy, Messiah. And if you didn't know this, just an extra thing for you. Jesus' last name is not Christ. Right? Craig Jarvis, right? Jesus' last name is not Christ. Jesus' title is Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And so whenever you hear somebody say, Jesus Christ, they're saying Jesus is the promised Messiah from 1 Samuel chapter se- or 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promised one of God. He would be the Christ. So let me give you a little bit of background from this. Jesus fits the bill for this title, and I want to prove it to you in a couple of different ways. Jesus fits the bill for being a son of David in a lot of different ways, from where Jesus was born. Look in Luke 2, 4, it's up on the screen. Joseph went also up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, where they were living, to Judea, to the city of what, church? To the city of David, right? It's up there, which is called, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Jesus was a descendant of David. That's why when the census came down and everybody had to go to their own town to register, Jesus had to go to Bethlehem, which is in Judea, because that is David's area where you go and register. Get it? So Jesus is born in the right place. Also, he's prophesied to Mary. <laughs> Look in Luke 1, 31. You know these verse, verses. And you shall call his name Jesus, the angel says. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of who, church? The throne of his father David. So even in the prophecy from the angel, they say this is Jesus. He would be recipient of the throne of his father, David. And it's taught also in the new church, Acts 13.23. We are told in Acts that this man's offspring, David, this man named David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior that is Jesus, just as he promised. And by the way, these are just a few verses that I picked out, but there's multiple dozens of verses that connect Jesus with being the son of David, the prophesied son of David. And by the way, this is also important to us because if you've ever wondered to yourself, why is Jesus called son of God and son of man? This is why. Jesus is given the title son of God because he is the son of God, the very begotten of God. But not only that, and by the way, that doesn't mean that God the Father had a son. It just means that that is his title in the Godhead. He is the Son of God. Just as he is the title, Son of David, therefore he is Son 
of man. This is why it is essential to our faith that we hang on to the fact that, Je- that Jesus was born of a virgin. That one we cannot let go. Because if Jesus is not born of a virgin, Jesus would be fully human and not God. But, but he is human because he is conceived in Mary of the Holy Spirit, and he is a descendant of human. He's a human descendant, just as he is deity. That's why we say he is fully God and fully man. Here's a verse that goes along with that, Romans 1.3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. There you go. He was born in the flesh, descendant of David. And he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. Born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, this is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you have those two titles that only apply to one individual in all of human history. He is son of God and son of man. Good? You like the theology? A little bit? Okay, good. Bartimaeus understood this, which is ridiculous because this guy is uneducated, he's blind, he's the lowest of society, and he's around a huge throng of people that should know all this. And yet the ones who see don't see Jesus. It's only the blind guy that truly sees him. And so when he starts screaming out above the crowd, above the, above the, the, the noise of the crowd, he chooses the title Son of David because he knows who he's talking to. Brings me to a question. How quietly do we confess the identity of Jesus Christ? That's a tough one, isn't it? How quietly do we confess the identity of Jesus Christ? What I mean by that is Jesus' name is not abnormally heard in our world today. You hear Jesus' name pretty much on a regular basis, and usually not in a positive context. It's either derided as those crazy Christians who follow Jesus, which is becoming more and more popular to hear these days, or it's used as a word to curse things or other people. How quiet are we to identify who Jesus Christ is. It's uncomfortable for us to declare who Jesus is when we're in a crowd that doesn't like him. It's not normal for us to stand up for Jesus' identity when others use his name to curse the world he's made. How quiet are we in this world to declare the true identity of Jesus Christ? This just happened to Beth. Actually, this past week, she was telling me a story which made me think of this And Bartimaeus. And you're right, this guy had nothing to lose. I mean, so what? He, nobody liked him anyway. He was, a, he was a pain in the rear end anyways. So nobody's going to pay any attention to him. So he's got nothing to lose. So he can declare who Jesus is over the crowd, and nobody's going to really care, except it's going to tick some people off. But for us, it's our friends, it's our coworkers, it's people that we care about that use Jesus' name in derogatory ways. And we have the opportunity to say, hey, hang on a second, uh, that's, that's not uh, the correct way to use that term, you know? So hard for us to do that. Why is that? Why is it that we find it so difficult to stand up and say, you know what, I just want to take a minute and identify the person you're talking about to you? It's tough. Like I said, it just happened about this past week. She was in a, a group of people, and they were talking about marriage plans and 
Somebody was getting married and they said, oh, I hope that when we get married, they're going to use all this Jesus stuff. And then they started mocking in a, in a wedding ceremony why you would use Jesus' name or turn it into a religious ceremony. And Beth said, I just sat there and I, I didn't know what to say. That's so typical for most of us, right? It's not abnormal. It's because you don't want to insert yourself into some weird way into a, into a conversation and make yourself stick out. I don't know what this means for you, but I know what it means for me. As I sat through and did the study on this, I thought, this guy, I think maybe you need to get to the point where you just say, I don't care what people think of me. I know what I think of Jesus. And so I'm going to take this opportunity in this crowd that's mocking his name or using it incorrectly to just identify for everybody. That's Jesus. He's the Son of God. And he saved me. That's radical, right? (laughs) I'm not quite sure that's as radical as we think it is. It's just unusual in our day and age. All right, let's move on. Verse 48. So what happened to us would happen to him, obviously. Many rebuked him, telling him, shut it, be silent. But he cried out all the more. (laughs) He wouldn't shut up. He said, son of David, more, 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 have mercy on me. Why? Why did this guy not... Excuse me. Why did he not stop talking? What do you think caused this guy to just not listen to the crowd? What do you think? He didn't see their reactions, but he heard them. But yeah, he didn't see their reactions. Okay. What else? He was desperate. He believed Jesus had the power to help him. Yeah. I think, yeah, both of those answers, fantastic. He knows this is his only opportunity. Jesus is only passing this way. I don't know if he's ever seen him before. I don't know if, he's ever, if he thinks he'll ever see. He, he's obviously never seen him before. I don't know if he's ever been in his presence before. But I'm thinking this guy thinks this is his only chance. He's desperate. So he screams out all the more. The crowd is telling him, shh, 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 shh. Speaking nonsense, this is not the son of David, and you don't deserve to spend time with him. Even if it is the son of David, he's going to have this amazing army made up of people that can conquer the Romans, and guess what they all have in common? They can see. So you're not going to be in this army, Bartimaeus. You have no real use to this guy. If he's who we think that he is, if he's going to take care of these Romans once and for all, There's no slots in our army for a guy that doesn't know where the enemy is. So Bartimaeus, just keep quiet. But he wouldn't. He only cries out more, Jesus, Jesus, I know who you are. Jesus, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus recognized a deeper reality of who Jesus was. You know what? I started looking through the book of Mark, and I'm constantly shocked at the people who recognize Jesus. Now, this is going to blow your socks off. If you do a walk through the book of Mark, you'll be amazed at who confesses who Jesus is and who's confused at who Jesus is. Mark begins in chapter 1 with the baptism of Jesus. Do you remember anything that happened at the baptism of Jesus that established Jesus' identity? Here's what happened. And this only happened twice in human history, where... God the Father speaks verbally about God the Son. Here's what it says in Mark 1.11. A voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. 
God the Father identifies Jesus' identity at his baptism. You know who else identified Jesus' identity? This is where it's going to shock you. In Mark 1.24, just a couple of verses down, demons and a possessed man recognized Jesus' identity. They said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus tells that demon to stop talking. Go down a little further, you'll run into some more demons. In Mark 3 and verse 11. Ooh, that's really, that's really odd. Uh, so if you can read that, the demon's got a hold of the slide there. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 11, demons and unclean spirits fell before him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down and cried out. What do they cry out? Can you read that? You are the Son of God. Chapter 4, Jesus calms the sea, and the disciples have an interesting reaction. That is so weird. Chapter 4, verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Even his disciples didn't know his identity. In chapter 5, we're introduced to another demon called Legion. In chapter 5 and verse 7, and here's what Legion says, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Chapter 6 and verse 14, Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. And what did Herod do to John the Baptist? Do you remember? He chopped off his head. He thought he, would come, he had come back to haunt him. Mark 6 verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are working in him. But others said, he is Elijah from the Old Testament. Others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, who I beheaded, has been raised. (coughs) Chapter 8, verse 27. After three years of doing ministry together, Jesus hopes his disciples get the message. But here's what they thought. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Others say, you are one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him. What did he answer him? He said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the Messiah. And then you get to chapter 9 and verse 7, and you have the Mount of Transfiguration. The second time God speaks verbally about his son. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know what I find in Mark? The only people who really know who Jesus Christ is are people in the spirit realm. Demons and God the Father. Isn't that crazy? Everybody else is confused as to who this guy really is. Mark is filled, a gospel filled with blind and confused people. Mark always leaves you with the question, who do you think I am? And Palm Sunday is about Jesus' offer to help us understand he would rescue all folks who understood who he really was. So you want to know what happened to Bartimaeus? Back to 49. Jesus stopped in and said, or Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now keep in mind, this is going to be his most difficult week of his life. More is written about this week than any other event in the life of Jesus Christ. Passion week, this Sunday to next Sunday. 
Jesus is going to enter into this incredibly difficult time in his life, and this blind guy, with not really a proper name, just son of Timaeus, this blind guy calls out to him, and Jesus stops. And he says, call him over here. Society had forgotten about him, but Jesus didn't. Verse 49 keeps going. They called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? It's like the crowd said, take heart, be of of good cheer. Jesus is calling you. He hears you over all these people and he's stopping and he's asking for you. It's like that moment in The Price is Right. You like The Price is Right? It's when everybody comes in with their goofy outfits hoping that somebody will notice them, right? And they get in there with these goofy outfits and they make fools of themselves and they hope, they hope, they hope that somebody's going to call their name and the commercial comes and nobody calls their name and then the next commercial comes and nobody calls their name and then finally, finally, somebody says their name. We're looking for Christopher Patterson. Come on down. And Christopher comes down with his chicken suit and he's running down the aisle and people are giving him high fives and patting him on the rear end. And he's just, he's so happy. He gets down front. He's chosen. And the only thing on Christopher's mind is don't blow it. I got one chance to make this really work. And so he's got to make a really wise bid on some barbecue that's going to come up on the platform. And he's thinking to himself, don't blow it. And you know what? Bartimaeus is thinking the exact same thing. Hey, listen, Jesus is calling you. He comes over, he throws away his cloak. Forget, it's the only thing he probably owned in his life. Forget all that. This is my one chance. And he runs up to Jesus, and Jesus says to him the magical words, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus is probably thinking to himself, don't blow it, don't blow it. I want a million dollars. Wait a second, no, that's not right. I practiced this. I've gone over it in my mind. In other words, Jesus is saying, what do you think I'm capable of here? Isn't that incredible? I'm willing to do for you anything. What do you think I can do? You called me the son of David. You've given me the title of somebody that is going to be amazing people have been waiting for for a thousand years. What do you think I can do? And he already knew what he was going to say. He'd gone over it in his mind over and over. And guess what he's going to ask for? What would you ask for? Yeah, you can guess it. Verse 52. Jesus said to him, oh, sorry, finish it up. And the blind man said to him, sorry about that. Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. You know what that tells me? He could see before. And he knew what he was missing. He said, let me recover. Would you give me my sight back, please? Incredible. If you believe that you could get anything from Jesus that your heart desired, what would you ask for? I thought about this. It's a hard one to think about. I, we ask for stuff that give us immediate satisfaction, right? That's normal. I'd probably ask for another couple of years with my dad. I'd, I'd want something like that. If I could ask for anything, if you could ask for anything, what would you ask for? 
But if you had time to really think about it, I wonder if you'd ask for anything to make your life better now versus what could make your eternity better later. Bartimaeus simply asked for what he thought he needed most to make his life better now, his sight, and he believed Jesus could do it. So verse 52 says, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Listen, faith was not the cause of his healing. Faith was a necessary means for him to be healed. Let me say that one more time. Faith was not the cause of his healing. Faith was a necessary means in order for him to be healed. It's not the amount of faith you have. That's silliness. If you've ever heard anybody say, you, you're not healed or you're not better, or, you don't have this because you don't have enough faith, that's, that's, that's mocking the truth of God's word. Because in Jesus' own word, you only need the faith of a mustard seed. In order to move a mountain. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? It's not conjuring up the faith. It's where you have the faith. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, mountains can be moved. In this case, Bartimaeus had the faith of a mustard seed. And a blind man suddenly was able to see. And you know his reaction? What was his reaction? What did he decide to do? Yeah. Immediately he recovered his sight, and without hesitation, he followed Jesus Christ. What do you think Bartimaeus' favorite verse would be today? How about... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For we walk by faith and not by sight. What a great story. From this point, Jesus walks up to Jerusalem with the crowd. And we get into verse 11 that tells us all about Palm Sunday. We're not going to talk about much of that today at all. Because that happens at the end of the afternoon. But this is how the day started. So toward the end of the afternoon, verse 8, many spread their cloaks on the road, others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, like are strewn around here today, cloaks and branches. This is a, a symbol, by the way, of a conquering hero. And this comes from the Old Testament. And when a king came back from battle, this, this mighty king came back, everybody decided they're going to throw branches on the road and their cloaks on the road. And it became a symbol of humility and devotion to this conquering hero. So that's why they did that this day. It's not like somebody came up with it and said, hey, let's get a bunch of palm branches and hand them out. Uh, This is something that they understood. This is how they show their devotion to a conquering hero. So they spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hashanah, Hosanna, which means, save now, please. Uh, the Hebrews loved, they loved joining words together. They stick a lot of words in one word. So Hosanna, we say today, Hosanna is really three words. It means save now. And the na at the end, Hashanah, na at the end means please. But it's more than just a please would you pass the salt and the pepper. This is a please that says, please, if you don't do this, I'm going to die. And so it's almost like a demand, save now, please, for God's sake, get me out of this. So when we sing Hosanna in the highest, that's what we sing. It comes from this verse. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hashanah, Hosanna in the highest. The crowd had grown incredibly at this point. To the point where Jesus could barely be seen. It was a noisy, crowded, smelling, confusing time. 
The, story, the people in this crowd had heard stories just like Bartimaeus had, but many of them had never seen Jesus. And so they're, they're kind of elbowing their way to the front, hoping to God that this is the guy promised from the Old Testament, the Messiah that would <coughs> give them their land back, give them their dignity back, get rid of these filthy Romans that ruled the world. And they rejoiced because they saw him as somebody that could give them something they were desperate for. They welcome him, but listen, here's the key. They still don't know who he is. They still don't know who he is. Like a traveling circus show, they followed intrigued, wanting to see what he would give away, what kind of an entertaining show he would put on, what demons he would cast out, what food he would give out for free. They're hoping to God for one of the stories they'd heard to come true this day. Nothing like that happened. And that began Jesus' Passion Week. The one thing they didn't do is they didn't demonstrate faith in his true identity. And so the key verse is verse 11, the weirdest verse in the world. After this amazing party, this amazing crowd, from the beginning of the day to the end, that just grew after the moment when Jesus is declared to be the son of David, after people crying out to him, we think you can save us now, save us now, please. (laughs) We get to verse 11, and here's the next verse. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went to Bethany with the the twelve. Does that verse not stick out to you in some way? Like, where's the party? Like, isn't the temple the place where Jesus should be? Didn't Jesus use this before, remember? When he was lost, when his parents lost him, you remember? They left him at the temple because it was such a big crowd and they were obviously bad parents. They started heading home. I'm just kidding, they were bad parents. They started heading home and they realized, hey, Jesus is not with us. So they head back and they're looking for him. They're desperate to find their son. And they find him and they say, Jesus, what are you doing to us? Why did you stay here? You knew we were leaving. And Jesus said, where else would I be but in my father's house? If you really knew who Jesus was in this day, you'd know where he should be. And Jesus gets to his father's house. He gets to the temple, and nobody's there. He looks around. It's five o'clock. It's closing time. Everybody has brought their religious materials. They've done their examples for their kids. They've gone to the They've done their duty, they've done their sacrifices, they've observed the religious ritual, they've done their part, and now they're heading out to places where they'll stay. And nobody sticks around. There's no intentional genuineness of faith. It's just ritual going through the motions. Because faith will change you, but ritual will just keep you busy. Do you know how many people go to church today just because it's ritual? faith changes you. Ritual keeps you busy. I've worked at uh, churches for a long time, and it amazes me still, on a wanna night, how parents pull up, drop their kids off, and then they go do something else. (laughs) Or they drive up, drop their kids off for Sunday school, and they go do something else, because kids should be in church. That's where they should be. You know what God wants? God wants not your kids. He wants your family. He wants you. 
We bring our family to church. We do our ministry at church together. My kids and their mom are doing ministry together right next door because we do ministry together. The reason we do that is because we don't consider church ritual. We consider it faith. This is what we do. This is how we, how we live out our faith in Jesus Christ. Faith will change you. Ritual will just keep you busy. Jesus looks around. There's no party. There's no recognition. And so Mark always leaves us with this question. Who do you say that I am? In this big crowd from beginning to the end of the day, there were a lot of people that wanted stuff from Jesus, but most of them never knew who Jesus was. A lot of people will go into this Easter weekend just like every other year. Some of them will go to church. Some of them will come to church on Christmas and some on Easter. And it'll be the only Sundays they go to church. Why? Because they should. It's the right thing to do. Some of them will come to the Easter egg hunt and, and that'll be great and they'll have fun there and, and, that's, and that's fine. But it never changes them. No matter how much you tell them who Jesus is, it never does a heart change in them. And so the so what's I want to leave you with are as follows. Bartimaeus is singled out for a reason. The people who should see, most of the time don't. But the people who sometimes cannot see are the ones that have the biggest change of heart. So number one, with recognition of the real Jesus, my life is meant to change. If you know Jesus Christ, he doesn't come into your life in order to give you something to do on Sunday. He doesn't come into your life in order for you to have some place to put your extra cash so that you can build up a little coffer in heaven. He doesn't give you something more to do because it's what's expected from religious people. When Jesus reveals himself to us truly, it is meant to change who we are from inside out. Jesus said to him in Mark 10 and verse 52, remember what he said to Bartimaeus, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. You know what he did? He didn't, he didn't obey Jesus. What did Jesus say? Go your what? <clears throat> go your way, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And what did Bartimaeus do? Follow Jesus. You see, that's what faith does. It changes us. We don't just get an answer to God an answer from God in our prayers, and go on with life as usual. Even though Bartimaeus is never mentioned again, we know from here he followed Jesus. By the way, Jesus said it himself in Mark 8, 34. Calling Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, Church, will you read this with me? Because it actually looks normal up there and you can do this, all right? So let's read this. These are Jesus' words. Church, here we go. If... Anyone would come, read with me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to be a a believer in Jesus, you have to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to just give you something else to do. He came to change you. And so faith is meant to change us from who we were into who God wants us to be. That's number one. And by the way, you can trust him no matter where he takes you. That's a part of faith. <clears throat> he might take you to some weird places. I'm not guaranteeing you won't do that. He has a tendency to do that, actually. But you'll be amazed at where you end up if you follow him fully. Number two, 
If you feel like you're a small, in a small group that doesn't fit in with crowd behavior, take heart. <laughs> Does that not apply to most of us today? Jesus left Jericho in a smaller, large crowd. Large crowd. Jesus entered Jerusalem to a larger crowd. Jesus left to go home with 12 people. And there you have it. If you feel like you don't fit in to the crowd, take heart. That's usually normal. Because wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many follow that path. But narrow is the way to salvation, and there are few who choose that path. Number three, everyone is given the same opportunity with Jesus. He invites each of us into his death and resurrection. Everyone in that crowd was invited to follow Jesus. But Bartimaeus is the one that was pulled out and singled out as a devout searcher. Bartimaeus had never had the privilege of seeing a miracle that Jesus did. Not once. He couldn't see. But it was Bartimaeus, the blind fella, that ended up being a follower of Jesus Christ. So what does that tell me? There's no impediment. There's no sin. There's no failure that you could ever go through that would forfeit you from the opportunity of following Jesus Christ. That gives me hope. Because there's a lot of people in my life, I've kind of thinking to myself, all right, they've gone beyond. It's time to write them off. But I never know what Jesus is doing in the background. And so I keep praying. I keep hoping. I keep loving. I keep reaching out. Because I never know what's happening in the background. And I believe with all my heart, Nobody falls far enough away from Jesus that he can't reach him with his grace. I love the words that they told Bartimaeus, screaming over the crowd. Pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Son of David, pay attention to me. And then finally they say, listen, take heart. He's calling for you. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Nobody, nobody's beyond the grace and the reach of Christ. Let's pray. So, Father, it's a simple story, story of a blind man that was desperate, hoping that his life would change if he just had a moment to interact with you. A guy who didn't even really have a name, son of his father, that's it. And yet out of a crowd of thousands that only grew through the day, he is singled out as a man of faith because he believed who you were and what you could do. So Father, help us to be men and women of faith in this world that tragically puts you on a shelf, dismisses you or abuses you. Help us to be bold and courageous willing to stand out in a crowd because we know who you are and what you're capable of. In a world that taunts you and doesn't understand what they do, help us to be the exception to the rule because you have given us truth. You have revealed to us who you are and you've given us this huge blessing and responsibility, proclaiming your name to the nations. So Father, help us to do it and start in our own backyards with our own neighbors 
with our family members, with people who it's hard to do it with, co-workers, relatives. And in doing so, Father, may we be like Bartimaeus, declaring boldly who you are, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we believe it is the power of God unto salvation to all who would believe. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.